Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here and to welcome my guest, Betsy Hill. Betsy and I, we've known each other for a long time now. We've been we've been sort of collaborating across the country for different ways. Um, Betsy works directly with young people. But I'm going to let you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about the work that you do with Families of Complex Kids and how you got here. Thanks for being here. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having us. And um, I'm Betsy Hill. I'm president of Brainware Learning Company. We are all about cognitive skills. So the skills that are involved in learning. And, you know, I got here (laughs) the way many of us do, which is a very rambling you know, uneven route because this stuff didn't exist. We didn't really know about how the brain learns and how we can help kids. Uh, I started off as a high school teacher a million years ago, you know, back when dinosaurs still I was going to say, yeah, that's what my, I'm with you. Would have said. And, you know, I went in with all of the enthusiasm and passion and commitment of every new teacher. And I found there were kids I just didn't know how to reach. And it was, I didn't have anything in my bag of tricks. So if I knew then what I know now, it would have been a very different experience. So what we do know is that kids, everybody learns differently. And, you know, we used to say, well, people are smart or they're dumb. Well, that, that is not true. That is not true. We're all smart in lots of ways. We all can be a little dumb in, in some ways from time to time, but it really has to do with the processes that our brains use to take in and process and store and retrieve and organize and hold on to information. And so we think about skills like attention and working memory, the ability to hold information in our mind or our other memory skills or our flexible thinking, you know, all those kinds of things and and the ways that we reason with information, all of these, we can be strong in some areas, we can be weak in other areas. And when you talk about complex kids, most of them have some extremes. Most of them have a very uneven uh, cognitive profile, if you will. So they're really strong in some areas, they may be pretty weak in some other areas. And this causes a lot of angst. It causes a lot of anxiety. It causes a lot of things because learning is unpredictable. And so if you have even skills, you pretty much know how learning is going to happen. But if they're uneven, one thing is going to be pretty easy and something else will be inexplicably just you can't get it. Right. So let me pause you for a minute. So you started off as a teacher. 
And I want to get back to this conversation about the uneven skills, the disparity, because it's that disparity that, that kind of makes us feel wonky and out of sorts as kids and as, a, as parents when we see it sure. in our kids. But how'd you get from there to here real quick? Let's, let's close that gap. Yeah, well, we so I, did, I, I defected from teaching, as many teachers do, but I was always very interested in education. I really think it's the one thing we can give our children in many ways, besides love and care and those sorts of things that will stick with them for a long time. And so I, and I read, I was really interested in the brain and I was interested in how the brain manages language in particular. I taught foreign language and nobody knew anything at the time. So I took the philosophy of language. I took the psychology of language. I took linguistics. So you went back to school. No, this was when I was in college, actually. Oh, when you were in college. Okay. Right. Uh, Now, I went back to school, but it was the school of hard knocks. Right. (laughs) It was, was, and I went back to school. There, we may have known each other there. (laughs) That's where it all started, Elaine. Right. (laughs) Um, I went back to school with a woman basically named Pat Wolf, Dr. Patricia Wolf, who wrote a book called Brain Matters. And Pat is one of the pioneers of applying neuroscience to learning and teaching. Outstanding book. It's called Brain Matters. It is the my the go-to if anybody ever asks me or a teacher asks me about how they learn about how the brain learns and what to do about it. That's where I would direct them first. There's yeah. lots of other really good books too, but that's a great place to start. And so I studied with Pat and she has trained hundreds and hundreds of educators and others over the years, parents, teachers, school boards, administrators. And then I studied myself. And the other thing that sort of inspired all of this or informs this in some ways is that I did vision therapy when I was a little girl. My eyes didn't focus at the same time. Yeah. And I had this, you know, they sort of got a little bit better over time. But, you know, if I took my glasses off, it was like, Every, the world was a big blur. Right. And one of the activities I had to do was to read without my glasses as my eyes got a little bit better. And I hated it because I loved reading and it just tortured me. It's exhausting. To yeah. slow down. But my mother was very diligent about making sure that I did what all the exercises I was supposed to do. And so one morning I'm reading a book. It happened to be The Five Little Peppers Midway. If anybody else knows that book. <laughs> And I'm reading and and it's blurry. And all of a sudden, the print jumped off the page at me and became crystal clear. Wow. And I couldn't move for a little while. I was, I was, you know, I was scared because I thought, you know, if I I jiggle something the wrong way. But the fact of the matter, this is what our brains do. They work and they work and they work and they work at something. And sometimes we can't even tell what's happening. And then all of a sudden, they make a set of connections that make sense and they're able to process information. And so I knew, know from my own experience that our brains can change in pretty impactful ways. Now, I'm old now, so I wear glasses again, but for years I didn't after that. So so what you're saying is there's this kind of gradually and then suddenly when it comes to morphing the brain or improving the effectiveness of the brain is that if we keep doing something, eventually, sometimes, not in all cases, right, right, right. but sometimes yeah. it will kind of click in. Yeah, and, that's that, the- and that reminds me of what happens with executive function with kids as they move into their 20s. It's like there's something they can't do, and then all of a sudden they can. 
Right, right. And that's maturation. That's, you know, executive functions, the front part of the brain myelinates, so it gets more efficient, basically, as we get into our 20s. And, and I mean, I raised three boys, I saw it happen. You know, I saw it happen when they turned 12 and a half, where the yep. bedroom started to smell like a locker room. And then I saw it when they turned into their 20s. And all of a sudden, it was like, I, I got charge in my world, I can do whatever I need to do. I don't yeah. need all the reminders. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So you learned from Dr. Wolf. And, and I also learned from a group of clinicians that we have been working with for many years. So speech pathologists, vision developmental experts, other kinds of learning specialists. And so it's the multiple disciplines is also a really important part of this. So a lot of our clients have been to a speech pathologist or have been to a vision person or have been to somebody and or an occupational therapist. Just throwing, I'm just going through my list of when I took my kids <laughs> right, through. Right. right. And often that could be helpful, but most of the people that we work with, the parents say, well, I've tried all these things and nothing really worked. Nothing mm-hmm. really changed. I still have a child who just shuts down, you know, learning is too hard and they just, I can't do it. Forget it. Or, yeah. you know, and we're they, seeing a lot of that in the pandemic more than ever before. That where it's just too hard and the effort is just, they can't summon the effort. Right. It's, it's our brains use 30% of the, at rest, our little three pound brain uses 30% of the energy that our body uses. Wow. It's a very expensive energy expenditure that takes place. So it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so when you do, when you have kids who, And it's not just the pandemic. It's, you know, you hear kids come home from school and they've been trying really hard all day and they've been holding it together, but just barely. And then they come home and things break loose or they take an, I was talking to a mom the other day. She said, this is like a sixth grader, I think. And she would fall asleep every day in the car coming home from school. She's just exhausting. Yeah. Thinking is exhausting. Yeah. processing using that that fabulous thing at the top of our head is is an exhausting and so i kind of want to land to how did you get into my brainware like what is what is it that you do with families of complex kids right and then so yeah and we've de- this is developed so when i joined the company there actually was a program it's called brainware safari and what it does is it takes the exercises that had been developed over about 40 years with all of these clinicians. So mm-hmm. all, there was a group actually that collaborated together, which is a little unusual, but they did. And so we took those exercises and married them with video game technology. So the you don't have to, to deliver the therapy. You don't have to be an expert in developing cognitive skills. So we can do this at a much broader rate. So, you know, if you go to a specialist and it's one-on-one therapy, you're going to spend somewhere between twelve dollars and $15,000 typically. And of course, that's not an option. For, and over the course of treatment. Over the course of treatment. So, yeah. you know, three months, six months, that's, you know, typically what you would spend that kind of money. And some families spent more over many years, you know, trying different things. But so the idea was if we can help reduce the cost and we can make it consistent and we can deliver this. So, and then over the years, we've learned the other things that are really important. So having a really good coach is just like 
if you were going to have a personal trainer, you know, it's a, but it's a personal trainer for your brain, not for your muscles and your body. Right. And so what we do is we, we work with families, we do an initial cognitive assessment, which was, gives us a really good read on the child's strengths and weaknesses. And I want to emphasize strengths because a lot of times parents, teachers, and others focus on that's what, what's not working. Yeah. And there's, no, it becomes pretty obvious where the stumbling blocks are and why a child is struggling. But at the same time, we also uncover what those strengths are. And when the kids are old enough to actually have the, you know, with eight-year-olds typically care a lot about knowing about their sustained attention and what their other, you know, strengths are. But especially when we get into the adolescent and teenage years, and I talk to kids, and I, so I start with their strengths, and I say, no, this is your strongest area. And the thing that you have to understand about this is this is your superpower. Right. So anytime you're in a situation that's difficult or that you don't understand something, this is the power that you go to. It's right. putting, like putting on your Superman cape. This is going to help you solve whatever that is and get through that difficult learning situation. And kids love hearing that they have superpowers. Well, you know, it's really interesting. I have a, my middle child is applying to medical schools as, as you and I are speaking and she has dyslexia. And so what's interesting, and this is coming out in her essays for medical school, what she realized is that because she was remediated when she was remediated for the dyslexia the first time, you know, in third grade, they also played to her strengths. So they put her in an accelerated math group. And so she left there still a little wobbly on English, but knowing that she had strengths in math and science. And she's built on that her entire life since. Yeah. And then the other strength was learning that she could learn to read. She could learn systems to use to improve the cognitive area that was a challenge. Yeah. I always describe that as figuring out what you like that likes you back, you know, that. <laughs> the things that, that you really enjoy doing, which obviously for her was math and science. And that was really, you know, something that, that she was both naturally talented, but also could build on those skills. Right. It was cultivated. Right. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have to put her in that group, but by putting her in an accelerated math group, she got the message, Oh, I'm good at something. So I'm it was so important. So important. And if I, you know, we hear the word confidence or self-esteem, we hear that all the time. And when you see, you know, this is why I get up and do what I do every day, because when Mm -hmm. you see and hear a child, um, we were talking to some parents the other day, and this is a child who had ADHD and developmental delays, um, would just resist any learning situation would just shut down. I can't do it. And they had tried a lot of things over the years and they, he went through our program and just did fantastically big gains in cognitive skills as measured on the cognitive test. So we do actually physically measure those changes. And then his parents talk about, you know, it's his confidence. It's just there. So he'll push himself. He doesn't just do that automatic you know, rejection, meltdown, whatever. So can you spell out a little bit when you talk about cognitive skills, can you give some examples of what you're talking about? Sure. So we talk about 
everything starting with uh, what we call foundational cognitive skills. These are things like attention, visual processing, auditory processing, processing speed, sequential processing, the basic ways that information gets into our brains from the outside world. And if that happens efficiently and accurately, that's great. We get a good start to the learning process. Mm -hmm. But if attention is inconsistent, there are going to be gaps. You're only getting part of the information. And so the learning process has stumbling blocks right at the beginning. And then we sort of talk about it building up from there where that that next tier is, is executive functions. And there we mean working memory, inhibitory control, and cognitive flexibility. So that's the way that the neuroscientists talk about it these days. And those three are highly predictive of pretty much everything in life, academic success, how much money you're going to make as an adult, whether you're not going to have a good marriage, whether or not you're going to end up in jail. I mean, you go down the line and these are predictive. So, so let's, you, let's I, I label work it again. A lot Working memory, which work freaks me out a little bit because that's not my strength. <laughs> <laughs> um, inhibitory control is the second yeah, one. Inhibitory control is pretty much what it sounds like. So it sounds like it's when you stop yourself from doing something you otherwise would do. Right. So it's sort of the opposite of impulsivity, if you will. Right. And then the third one was cognitive flexibility. Right. And that's how you shift your mindset between mental processes or adapt when something changes around you in the world. So your ability, for example, to see things from different perspectives or to shift gears when something happens. So kids with um, low cognitive flexibility, they will be, their parents often describe them as rigid thinkers, Mm -hmm. or if they encounter a problem and their first approach doesn't work, they have difficulty adapting. And it's just like, oh, well, I can't do this, you know. You know, I, I'm feeling really vindicated here <laughs> <laughs> because the same child I was I was referring to who had ADHD, dyslexia, and and anxiety as a kid oh. was a rigid thinker. She was I, I often call them black and white thinkers, right? And a lot of our kids with dyslexia, a lot of our kids with ADHD, this is not uncommon in our community. And at some point we realized because she had been remediated for the dyslexia, she was really good at using systems and structures. And so we intentionally put her in a school that didn't focus there because we knew if we put her in a school that was highly structured, she would do great and she would never learn to think flexibly. I want to acknowledge, I had no idea that this was a thing. (laughs) When I made this decision. It's a big, it's a big, big, Um, it's a, it's a big thing. And you know, and you see it in adults, you know, we've all been in sort of those meetings where one member of the meeting just keeps harping on the same thing and they just can't, even though we've resolved it, you know, you resolve that issue and they keep right. coming back it's, to but it. They can't move on. They can't move on. But it's also about very basic things like, so you has had dyslexia and when you, it, when we develop our abilities to, um, recognize sight words, and then Mm -hmm. to also sound words out. Those are two different processes in the brain. And our ability to switch back and forth really rapidly is also cognitive flexibility. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Inhibitory control is also what you're seeing when when you have a child who just blurts words out. What they've shown is that it's not just guessing. 
it's actually a lack of or a difficulty with inhibitory control. They can't stop. So that their mouth and brains are putting that word out there just because it occurred to them. And it may be the first same letter or something like that. So, so all of these things are so complex and you have all of these processes working together. So you think of reading as being a pretty basic thing. Well, as anybody with dyslexia knows, it's a very complex process and you have a whole bunch of these cognitive skills that have to work together to do it. Well, as you're saying this, I'm thinking it's amazing any of us ever learn anything. It's really (laughs) quite extraordinary how brilliant we are, if you think about it, and how brilliant the brain is. Yes. And So what is it? So Betsy, what do you want parents to know? Like, let's make this real. What is it that parents need to understand of complex kids that they may not understand before this conversation? Well, I think there are a couple of things. One of which is they're complex because they are cognitively complex. So there may be other things going on to, you know, emotions and all those sorts of things, but inevitably there are underlying cognitive strengths and weaknesses. And unless you understand those, everything you do is going to be hit or miss. And if you hit, it's great. If you miss, you know, kids get even more discouraged and more frustrated and those sorts of things. So doing a cognitive assessment and really understanding their cognitive strengths and weaknesses is critical. So can I just ask a clarifying question on that? Because we often make the distinction between the, intelligence or the smarts or the kind that the capacity the kids have there versus their organization or self-management or executive function. So we're not really really talking about intelligence here. We're talking talking about the ability to use the brain. We're talking about intelligence. Yeah. Okay. So intelligence is one of the, we actually sort of steer away from that word, although it is still intelligence and we improve intelligence. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's misunderstood, and it's misunderstood a lot because of the intelligence tests that were brought to this country by Binet. Mm-hmm. And so people assume that intelligence is one thing, and they assume that intelligence is fixed. That is, you in your genes, you get a certain amount of it, and you can't do anything about it, whatever you okay. came into the world with. And the fact of the matter is, intelligence isn't really just one thing. It has a lot of components. I mean, we... You can have kids who are just brilliant at spatial perception and not very good at verbal reasoning. And verbal reasoning is something that's prized in school. So you don't always see, you know, the, the power of that in terms of what they can do. So we believe it's multiple things. We believe that all these cognitive skills play a role. Okay. And then we also know that skills can be developed. So with the right kind of cognitive training, you can significantly improve these cognitive processes and it's transformative. So I kind of interrupted you and I know we need to wrap up and and move forward, but you were saying, I I asked you what were parents missing and you started. So I think it's understanding that they need to really understand cognitive skills and then understand that these can be developed. So for example, in our research, we have looked at students with specific learning disabilities, which is one category of, of kids that are probably in this complex kids grouping. Right. And what we are able to do over 12 weeks is bring their cognitive skills, things like working memory, attention, short-term memory, other kinds of mental processes. We can basically close the gap to what would be considered normally developing on average. That's not going to be the same for every kid. Is every brain is unique, 
but we can have a huge impact. And when you do that, when you give kids the ability to learn the way their more typically developing peers can, they make huge strides. Huge strides. You know, a year or two worth of academic growth in a very, you know, within a few months. Yeah. Fabulous. So I can't believe we're at time, but we are. So tell us our listeners how they can find out more about what you're you're talking about. Your company, you, you said, is My Brainware. So yeah, how can people really find you? Company and it's my, the website is My Brainware. So it's brain, B-R-A-I-N, where, W-A-R-E. So you have software, you have hardware, and you have brainware. Ah, mybrainware.com, and it will be in the show notes, so you can read it there. Fabulous. So is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners today, something you hope parents will take away from today? Um, I hope they take away the notion that there is really hope. You know, most of the parents that we talk to, when we first talk to them, they are they're struggling. I mean, the kids are struggling, but the parents are struggling. They don't know what to do. They feel like they have no idea. They feel like the schools have let them down. Yeah. And they have in a lot of ways, uh, because this is, the stuff that we're talking about today are things that most teachers don't know. They don't, it's not part of their training. Let's be, let's be honest. Training. They don't know it because they don't have the opportunity to learn it. And I didn't know it out. when I, back then, right. and they don't have the opportunity. If they did, Teachers care so much. We, we, I know that would be, you know, different. So, so it's really about hope and about your ability to have a huge impact. You don't have to be have a PhD in parenting. You don't have to have an advanced degree in education. You just have to uh, realize that these things can be changed and give your child an opportunity to be able to shine because there's some things that are holding them back that are sort of covering up their ability to demonstrate their, their strengths. Love it. Love it. So as we want to wrap up this conversation, we always like to end with a fun wrap of, do you have a favorite quote or motto that you want to share with our community? (laughs) Well, I've, I've already shared one, which is about telling kids about their superpowers. So my favorite brain quote, which is Emily Dickinson, The brain is wider than the sky. And I just, I think there's so much possibility in that and so much positivity in that and our brains. So what the, the um, neuroscientists would call it neuroplasticity, but I sort of think Emily Dickinson's much prettier. It's definitely more poetic. (laughs) Thank you. So Betsy, thank you for being here. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. I have this memory of of, um, introducing you to a a client I was working with in Australia several years ago because I had a kid who just really needed something different. And, you know, I know that you've worked with people all over the world as we have, and and you make a difference and are always kind of there and present and a positive light in this this community. So thank you for what you're doing. No, thank you, Elaine. We appreciate it. We appreciate you too. So, and to those of you listening, thanks for what you're doing for yourself and for your kids. Remember being here, listening, tuning in. It's what makes the difference one day at a time, one conversation at a time, one relationship at a time. Take care, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.